For those of you that don't know me, my name is Chris Kellum, and I am, I am the worship leader here at Bellwether. And man, it's, as I always say whenever I get this opportunity to preach the Word, is just what a blessing it is to be able to get up here. And uh, man, it's awesome. And so I just thank John Hughes been at the beach, as you can tell from his solid tan that he's working. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I saw Jack. Jack was running through the house a little while ago, and I said, Jack, how was the beach? And he went, skimboard. <laughs> it's like, well, I know your dad didn't get on that skimboard because he didn't have a broken leg. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> well, that's awesome. <laughs> well... You know what, one of, the, you know, one of the things about this church that uh, I'm so floored, I, I literally am floored, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I am floored to just be able to be a part of it. And I'm floored to see what God is doing in the lives of so many people. And I want you to know some wonderful, wonderful things are happening here. And I'm so glad that we serve a sovereign God that is bigger than anything out there that may make us feel Resent, resentment, maybe? Hesitant? But see, we serve an almighty God that's bigger than any of that. We serve a God that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen on that? Golly, man, that fires me up. Well, I want you to know this, that uh, uh, we, and I've got this saying here that I, that I heard a couple of weeks ago, and I've been, and it hit me, I was like, this is, this is, this is what we want at Bellwether, and it says this. God can't be fully understood until He is experienced. God can't be fully understood until He is experienced. And I can tell you that that's what we want for you. We don't just want you to believe something. Right? We want you to experience one second of the Almighty God. Because see, we know that when one second of the Almighty God comes before you, that is forever life-changing. And that's my prayer for us today. That's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for myself, is that we would just open up our hearts to hear what God has to say to us this morning. Open up our hearts, because you know what? He got us all out of bed. And for whatever reason, He has you here right now. And that, you know, so why are we here? We're here because He wants to speak to us today. So open your hearts, open your minds, open your ears to hear what He has to say to you today. As John, Hugh mentioned, we are in the middle of a 10-week sermon series. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on, uh, on No Other Gods Before Me. And, I, you know, I, I share with y'all my, my view growing up of, of God. Like, I saw God as like this, you know, this dude that was like sitting back with like this bull whip that would end up basically being a lightning bolt. And so whenever I did anything wrong, he would just kind of grin and go, oh, yeah, I got you. And just take me out. I, that was my view of God, and how that was just, that was crazy. But, see, I thought that God, like, put all these rules on us because He didn't want us to have fun. I thought that God put these Ten Commandments on us because He didn't want His people to enjoy life. And, and I couldn't have been any more wrong because what God was actually doing, as I talked about a few weeks ago, was He was giving guidelines. He was giving guidelines on how to live out of grace, out of love, out of mercy, not because he was like some dictator sitting up there ready to zap you with a bolt of lightning. No, man. No, it was out of, it was, it was, it was out of love. It was out of grace. The, the Israelites, they, they didn't know any other way of life. 
They didn't know any, any, any other way of life because they were slaves. And so what God was doing is He was giving them, he was giving them these, these guidelines. And the guideline, today's guideline, which happens to be the second commandment, right? It says that uh, it, it forbids us to worship anything that is a, get this, representation of God. It, forgets, it, it doesn't want us to, to worship anything that's a representation of God. You see, it's, it's not only calling us to, to, to worship the, the true God, but it's, but it's calling us to not worship the true God in the wrong way. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Uh, just a little history, real quick. So, for 400 years, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And God raised up Moses. Why? Because He wasn't going to have His people, His chosen people, as slaves in a foreign country, right? So God rose, raised up Moses, and, and he, was, you know, he told Moses, Moses, you're going to go get my Israelites, and you're going to go to Pharaoh. And Moses was like, whoa, what, you know, Pharaoh? And you're going to tell Pharaoh, man, you know, I want my people back, and we're out. And, and then God told him, he, was, he said, uh, God told him, I thought that was me, my bad. <laughs> God, God, uh, God told him, he said, but look, you know, I... Go tell your people these four promises, and, or go tell my people these four promises. And it said, I will free you from your oppression, and I will rescue you from slavery in Egypt, and, and I will redeem you with mighty acts of judgment and, and, and a power, or powerful arm. And, and, and then I'll claim you as my own people, and, and I will be your God. And, and so then when Moses tells the people that, and then he goes to, to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, You're not getting my people. And so God said, all right, why not send some plagues? And so he sent this series of plagues that decimated, decimated a land. And then like the, the, the Israelites are freed, and then, then Pharaoh's like, man, you know, I, I, I messed up. I, I think I'm going to go get them. And then he goes after them, and, and they're sitting there in the Red Sea's right here, and so here comes the... the Israelites to, to get them, and then God parts the Red Sea, right? They go across, and then the, the Egyptians were like, well, man, I can go after them, and they went after them, and then God just smoked them. That's my favorite part right there. He just smoked them. <laughs> the water just crashed down on them, and here's what I, here's what I love is that the, the Israelites were sitting up, you know, they were sitting out looking over the water, and like they, they were so blown away by what God had just did, that they broke into song. They immediately started worshiping. Immediately started worshiping. Moses starts singing, and they start singing, man, all these, they start talking about God's goodness, His grandeur, like how awesome He is, how He fulfills the, His promises, and, and they just worship and worship and worship. And I'm sitting there reading this as a worship leader and as a follower of Jesus, just going, wow, wish I could have seen that. I mean, Really? And so they're sitting up there, man, and they see all these great things, and then, then like, they go out into the, into the desert, right? Then they go out into the desert, and after seeing all this crazy stuff, they're like, whew, Moses, it's hot. Man, I'm, I'm thirsty. You got some water? We need some water. And they start complaining. Start complaining. So Moses goes to God, and he's like, you know, Get some water. And 
God miraculously, literally miraculously provides water. Right? Imagine seeing that. But now they need food. So they start whining about the food in the middle of a desert. But they got water. So now when they wake up in the morning, there's manna and quail on the ground every morning. Can you imagine being a people that gets to see that? Every single day? God. But it gets better. It gets better. Then Moses heads out and he goes up to Mount Sinai. Right? He's like, all right, listen, I'm going to leave y'all for a little while. I'll be back shortly. He goes up to Mount, Mount Sinai. And when he comes back down, there's a golden calf that they have made in the image of God, right? That they're going to start work. They're saying, man, look, we're going we're to let this calf remind us of God. And they, they've made a representation. And Moses holding these Ten Commandments gets so mad that he chunks them on the ground and they just break into pieces. And I think about that and it rocks my world. I can't imagine what he must have been feeling. I can't imagine the roller coaster that he must have been on. F.B. Meyer, he wrote this. He said, had anyone suggested that Israel would apostatize from God of Abraham, they would have been stoned to death. They had no desire to break the first commandment and to have other gods than Jehovah, but they found the demand of the second commandment too vigorous. Too vigorous. They must have an image. They must have a visible representation. They must have an idol. An idol. I read this book once and it said, whenever anyone or anything usurps the place that God should have in their lives, we're guilty of idolatry. Wow. Let me tell you, I am guilty of idolatry. So I'm going to ask you, what's your idol? What are you putting in place of God? Now look, I, I heard this all the time growing up. We always hear these, right? But I, I want you to really search your heart and ask yourself, what are you putting before Him? Is it money? <clears throat> Excuse me. Is it your busy schedule? Is it your time? Is it Ole Miss or state? Get this. Is it partying? Is it your husband or your wife? Your boyfriend or your girlfriend? How about your church? Think about that. How about your church? I say that because Oswald Chambers says this. He said, beware of any work for God that causes or allows you to avoid concentrating on Him. Martin Luther says, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that's really your God, your functioning Savior. What is your idol? John, he says this all the time. What's your little G God? What is it? 
That's hard for me to ask myself that if I'm honest with you. Tim Keller, he wrote a book called um, Counterfeit Gods, which it says, uh, he says right here in this thing, when, when people say, quote, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. When people say that, they mean that they have failed an idol whose approval is more important than God's. Is that you? Is it me? We have to stop letting things replace God as our first commitment. Have to stop letting things replace God as our first commitment. We all have these idols, see? And, and what, what God is saying, look, look, hear me on this. We have idols. But what God is saying is, I'm all you need. God's saying, I'm all you need, Chris. God's saying, I'm all you need, John Hugh. Mom, Dad, I mean, all of you. He's saying, I'm all you need. I had this, I got this buddy of mine uh, named John, and years ago, years ago, I was, uh, I was sitting there talking to him, and, and John and I, we, he's a guitar player, and so we jam. We used to jam all the time. He moved away. He's a, he's a pastor now. But he was a worship leader, and a good one and a you know, successful one. And I asked John one time, we were, we were sitting there talking, I was like, dude, why don't, you, why don't you lead worship? And I said, I'm, I'm actually playing. I'm, I'm, I'm leading this, this week. Why don't, you, why don't you lead with me? And he went, no. Like, what? And John said something to me that rocked to the foundation of who I was at that time. He said, Chris... I worshiped worship more than I worshiped God, and I stepped away from it. And I had to ask myself right then and there, would I do that? I had to ask myself, Chris, whoa, because see, a little history on me, I, before I accepted Christ, that's what I did. I went out and I played everywhere, had bands. And I was so caught up in it. And when people are singing your songs and like singing with you, like that's all you're wrapped up in because your job at that time is to go to the bar and make that happen. And so when I started leading worship, if I'm real honest with myself, there was a part of me that felt good about Chris. Good about Chris. And what I was hearing was this dude, John, look at me and go, hey man, I did much bigger and better things than you. This is how I, this is how I heard I did much bigger and better things than you. But see, I worship that instead of God, and so I, I gave it up. And I had to ask myself, would you give it up? And it rocked me. Rocked me. And then I, I read this story one time on the rat, rat, sorry, Matt, Matt Redman, and uh, I'm sure he won't be listening to this, so it won't matter. <laughs> but all right, so Matt Redman's this dude, and he's a y'all probably know him. He's like that song Ten Thousand Reasons" and all these other songs. He he he's he's the writer, and he's a he's a worship leader. And and so Matt was at this church, right? He was this church at this church over in England, and he had like this ball and band, just everything at, like this 
solid church, the band, everything in his world was perfect. And then all of a sudden, the pastor walks in there one day and he's like, Matt, we're going to, I want you to get rid of the band. I want you to get rid of the band because you know what? We're worshiping worship a little more than we're worshiping God. And so from here on out, worship's going to be vocal only. And Matt said it rocked him to his core. Rocked him to his core. And so what he did is he, he uncomfortably got up there and he started doing this because if you know anything about worship leaders, we're way more comfortable with something to hold on to than not. And I can just picture Matt. It's like, that's what I... And he, so now he's just sitting up there and he's just having to sing vocally. But he said that's where he learned what true worship was all about. And so in a time that was completely dark to him, and what he, when he gave up what was most important, one of the most important things to him, instead of being completely tripped out by it, he learned to worship the Almighty God authentically. And he wrote this song, and it says, When the music fades, it all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I bring you more than a song, and a song in itself is not what you require. You search much deeper within, and the way things appear, bring me back to your heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, Jesus. And I'm telling you, that story from him and my buddy John, it allowed me to come before God one day and say, hey God, you want this guitar? And I'm not, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I'm telling you this out of brokenness that I was able to say, here, take it. Take it. Because I just want you. And see, I was reminded that 1 Peter 2.9, and I love the message version of this when it says, but you are the ones chosen solid, by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do His work and to speak out for Him, to tell others of of the night and day difference He made for you. For nothing, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Amen. Amen. And when we stop worshiping idols and we begin focusing On God, something amazing happens in our lives. Life changes. Life changes. There's some of you right now that know exactly what I'm talking about. And you know that that little nudge that you're feeling, is God telling you to put it down. He's telling you that I'm all you need, man. I'm all you need. All you need. When I was uh, when I was when I was preparing for this for this message, John Hugh and I were laughing because you know always like yeah thanks John Hugh and I go right out this what I think is just 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 money sermon, and then like the day before God's like yeah you need to throw that away and <laughs> just listen to what I'm saying. And so you know basically I've said this every time I've ever preached, but again yesterday I'm on my way to a baseball game and God's like yo you need to pull in Starbucks and rewrite this message, and I was like. Well, this is pretty solid, at least I think. And he was like, idols? I was like, dang it. <laughs> so anyway, so I, 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 was reminded, um, I was reminded in my, in, you know, in going over Exodus 
and, and at, at the change in Moses that we saw, the change in Moses that we see from, you know, the Moses in the, in the third chapter, when, at the burning bush when God's talking to him, to the Moses in, in chapter 34. And I think there is a wonderful lesson for, for us to learn through this today. So if you have your Bibles, or you can look up on the screen, Exodus 3.6 says this, Then he said, I am the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was was afraid to look at God. And and see, what we see Moses do is go, when God said something to him, he's like, whoa, me? Huh? Who who am I, God? Who, Who am I? Who am I? I'm, I, I'm not worthy of this, God. Like, those dudes over there are worthy, God. But look, not me. I'm not worthy. See, that's what we see Moses do. And, and we, we get totally caught up in this too, don't we? But look what God says to him. Or rather, what he doesn't say. What he doesn't say to Moses. See, you would think that God would say, well, Moses, I'll tell you who you are. And he'd lay it out, but that's not what he does. He gets Moses to to focus not on Moses' own character, but God tells Moses that, you know, he's going to focus on my character because, and that's what I, that's me reading into it. But this is why. God didn't, he didn't tell Moses all the ways that Moses was worthy. No. God said, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I could see Moses sitting there waiting for God to, to spew this book of you know, how awesome Moses is. But God doesn't do that. See, he redirects it back to him. He redirects his focus back in. He just says, I, I'll be with you. So many of us are guilty of this. And see, we'll, we'll draw near to God. We'll, we'll draw near, and, and then we'll, be, we'll, we'll, we'll begin to hear those little voices in our head. Those little voices saying, no, 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 no. You know, the truth is, you, you know your past? You remember your past? You know, you remember that thing you did or, or that, that person you dated or, or what you shouldn't have done? And, or you fill in the blank. You, man, you were too much of a partier. You were too much. I heard this in my head. I'm telling you, I live with this. Just, man, look, you partied too hard, dude. You ain't worthy for this. You can't do my work. See? When we start to hear, we start listening to that. But you know what the great thing is about that? That's not God. That's Satan. Well, Chris, how do you know? I know because I believe every single word, every, every literal word in God's Bible. In His Word, I believe it. And John 3, 17 says this. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And what that tells me is God is not a God of condemnation. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to give you a way out. He came to give you a way out. 
Hey, Chris, I've come to give you a way out. And when I realize that, and I stop listening to that little thing that's in my ear all the time, and I'm able to put on God's armor every day and not listen to it. And I believe what he's saying because he doesn't condemn. Satan condemns. See, Satan's doing everything that he can possibly do to keep you from God. He's doing everything he can. I mean, I love nothing more than when Jesus, you know, went up and was tempted by Satan. You know, and then the word says that Satan left not until an opportune time. He's coming back. But see, Satan's got all the time in the world, and all he wants to do is put a little bit of doubt. And so what, tra- what, what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to get... Uh, He's trying to get, get, get in your head by that remember when game, which I, which I can't stand. Or, better yet, this is what he'll do. Satan will say, if you just get a little bit better job, then you'll feel better about yourself. And, and then, look, then, man, when you're relaxed, you'll like be able to, to, to worship God the way that you know, God deserves to be worshipped. Or he'll say, you know what, dude, if you just go make a little bit more money, or if you close this deal, or if you date this person, or if you, and you fill in the blank, then you're going to feel good, and then you'll worship. And we all sit there and say that, don't we? Don't we? If we're honest with ourselves, don't we say that? Man, I feel it every day. You know what God says? Two words. I am. I am. Well, but God, no, 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 no. I am. God, hold up. You don't understand, God. I am. But God, man, I've been doing this, and man, God, I'm still screwing up, God. I'm trying. I am. I am. Why? Why does he not say anything more than I am? Because there's nothing else to say. I am. And if somebody looked at you and you were like, yo, I am, they would think you're crazy. But we're dealing with the almighty sovereign God. And so I am is all we need to hear. Look at Exodus 33, 11. It says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Whoa, that's a change, isn't it? I thought Moses was hiding his face into the ground. But now he's face to face? What happened? He spent time with him. He spent time with him. I love James 4.8. I say this literally almost every single week. God says, come close to God and He'll come close to you. God's like, draw near to me and I'll, I'll draw near to you. God is Desperately, please hear me on this. Listen, if anybody's taking a nap, I want you to wake up because this is all I want you to hear. All right? God is desperately, desperately seeking a personal relationship with you. He is not seeking to stand back and zap you with a lightning bolt. He wants it to be personal. So personal that he'd let his son hang up there and die. That's pretty personal. What if that was your son? The Lord would speak. You know how many times I've read over that and blown past that? The Lord would speak. So, here, so here, here's what's going on. So Moses now is, is hearing God like he would speak to him, right? And now they're face to face like a friend. 
So Moses goes over, see, and this is what I love about the burning bush. So Moses, right, he's kicking, he's walking by, and he's like, boom, what's that bush burning? And he's probably, you know, well, that's pretty crazy. But the bush doesn't burn up. It doesn't burn up, it just keeps on, keeps on burning. It doesn't burn up. And so Moses walks over to it, and God calls to him. You know what, you know what happened? Moses went seeking. When Moses took that step, God met him right there. God met him right there. See, God can't be fully understood until He's experienced. God can't be fully understood until He is experienced. Take the step. Take the step. Move towards Him because He promises He'll be there. He promises He'll be there. I love, uh, there's this quote, Father Augustine. Let me be straight. I don't read a lot of Father Augustine. But I should, and I came across this, and I, I, it, it really makes me want to get it and start reading it. But it says, this is what he said. He said, our, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. And see, God wants to be face-to-face with you. God wants to be face-to-face with us. How, that, is that not good news? And then look at Exodus 34. Exodus 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, so Moses has gone back up, right? God had given him the, the Ten Commandments again. And when he came back down, he was, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. Man. He wasn't even aware of it. He spent time with God. And not only did he go from, man, I'm not worthy, to all of a sudden getting, spending time with him and, and getting face to face, he glowed. He was radiant. And you and I, if we're honest, we know people that are radiant. We know people that are so wrapped up in God that they are radiant. And you feel His Spirit. And I'm telling you today that you have that opportunity. You have that opportunity. That's the God. God is calling you. He is calling you. And when He says, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you, He doesn't just mean, hey man, let's, let's, just, let's just get close. He's saying, I'm going to rock your world. And I'm begging you. Begging you. That little tap that you're feeling. I'm asking you not to blow it off. I blew it off for a long time, and I'm asking you not to blow it off. One last story, and I'm out of here. So Ignite Sports Camp. Ignite Sports Camp is a camp that uh, it's coming up. It's a, it's a ministry our church supports. And, and myself and some people started this camp a while back. Dobby is, is involved in it. And uh, man, so we started this camp a while, uh, seven years ago. And, and all we knew, we were sitting in a coffee shop, and, and a buddy of mine was like, Chris, man, what's it like to jam? And I was like, bro, what's it like to be on ESPN? He played for the White Sox. You know, like, big difference. And that, that conversation led to two, two people sitting there. Well, another person heard it. And all of a sudden, we started going around the room talking about, man, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if we sought God to see if He possibly wants to start a camp so that we can teach kids how not to do what we did, one, but two, about the Almighty God 
that wants to be face to face with them. What if? And so, all right, so we, we decide we're going to do it. We start this camp, and, and we're about a month before the camp is supposed to start. And we, it's, we have no money. We have two campers, I think. And we're, we're all on the hook for $20,000. Now, I don't know about you, but that freaked my world out. 20 G's? I didn't even tell my wife about it. Sorry. But, but I want to tell you what happened. We came together, and we started praying, and we started seeking God. You know what we did? We said, God, let us put the music aside. God, let us put the sports aside. God, let the fact that I played Major League Baseball, let me put that aside, and let us just seek you. Let me tell you what happened. When we did that, all of a sudden a bunch of money started coming in. All of a sudden we had a lot of campers. All of a sudden we had counselors. And then something magical happened. As we're out there, we started on Thursday. Saturday night comes, and we half the camp. There are some hard people. There are some hard kids that have been through some tough times. And they got this look of stone on their face when they first get there. And then Saturday night, we saw God show up in a way that that I've never experienced. And I watched 20 kids turn their life over to Christ. And I saw this, I saw something tangible that I'd never seen in my life. I watched this hardness become soft. I watched these hearts just become completely melted as they fell down on the altar and gave themselves to the God Almighty. The next morning we got up and we have this bell out there. And if anybody accepts Christ, we go ring the bell. So the next morning we're, I look up and I walk outside and I was trying to get ready for the next session. And so, because I was doing music, so I was racing over and I looked up in a hurry and I saw them. And so I raced over there. And I saw 20 faces around a bell ringing. And they were glowing. I'm telling you, they were radiant. And I had seen faces that were once so hard, words literally cannot describe it. I'd seen them go from washed out, I'm not worthy, to face to face with God, to radiant. And today they are radiant for Jesus. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. Because when we're radiant for Jesus, others see it. You don't have to say a word. They'll feel it. And they want to know, where, where, where'd you get that? And then you can share the gospel. <laughs> Listen, God can't be fully understood until he is experienced. And I'm asking you, take the step and go face to face. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the almighty king. God, you seek us. You come after us. God, you want a relationship with us so bad. And I just right now, God, I just want to thank you for that. I just want to thank you that when we approach your throne, God, that you don't see us as unworthy. You see us as beautiful and made in your image and covered in the blood of Christ. So I thank you for that. And God, right now I know there's these people that, are, that hear you whispering in their ear. And I'm praying for courage. 
I'm praying for courage for them to turn their lives over to you. I'm praying for courage for those that have already turned their life over to you, but have, but have put idols before you. I pray that you'll put courage on them to allow them to put aside the idols, come face to face with you, and let us radiate, Father.